What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Golly Dating 101 podcast. And today we are blessed. We have a special guest here talking about some things that may be a little sensitive to some, um, but I believe that it can bring healing to so many. I had the privilege to, to meet with Irene Rollins, and she and her husband are doing a great work. So for the little that I do know about this couple, they were pastors, you know, and they're pastoring a mega church. And what many of us would think is when you're pastoring a mega church, everything in life goes well. When in reality, it's a lot more behind the scenes that you may have to deal with that people don't take into consideration. So we're going to have Irene tell us a little bit about herself, and then we're going to dive into some deep talk, some deep conversation. So Irene, thank you for being here, being our guest, um, being willing to open up, not just because of a book, but open up your heart in, in regards to people that are wounded, people that are struggling. So thank you for coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I love your podcast. I love the book you your life you're doing awesome so guys um we're probably going to release this the week that the book is released and she's releasing a book called reframe your shame a lot of times people in church we i feel like we mask what we're really dealing with and a lot of times a lot of people feel overwhelmed by their different burdens and their different guilts so what was the reason behind you naming your book reframe your shame even if you want to talk about why yourself or is it something you've seen in others um, about the the way shame weighs down people in the church? Yeah, sure. I decided to write this book because you know I was pastoring a church like I said, like you said earlier, with my husband. Had the three kids, you know, house, dogs. It looked like I had it all together, one hundred percent. I felt like I was supposed to because I'm a church leader. I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to have it all together. And uh, what ended up happening was I was an emotional wreck and did not know what to do with it or how Mm -hmm. to fix it, even how to articulate it. So I was emotionally unhealthy. So was my husband. We were leading, but uh, had no idea how much the responsibilities of life, marriage, kids, and leading a church was going to weigh on us. And when those stressors came and then stressors of you know, people pass away, people die, people we love got divorces, like betrayal on and on stuff that everyone kind of deals with in life. But even though we were pastors and leaders, we didn't know how to take care of ourselves. We were so busy taking care of everyone else. And so the shame of um, not having it all together was magnified when I began to medicate with alcohol and unknowingly medicating my pain, medicating stuff that was coming up in my uh, psyche, like having flashbacks from my childhood of sexual abuse and uh, trauma and things from my past that I hadn't dealt with. I thought going to the altar and praying was gonna be the end of it and reading scripture over it, but it was so much more than that. And the fact that I was still dealing with things, I felt shame about it. And shame says I am bad. So I believed the narrative that I was bad. I wasn't enough. I wasn't enough to lead a church. God's grace didn't apply to me because the stuff I did was unforgivable, unforgettable. Um, And the way that impacted me, it caused depression, anxiety, mental health issues, which then led to coping, an unhealthy coping mechanism, which was alcohol. And over a six year period of time, without knowing it, addiction crept up on me and talk about shame. My shame became toxic at that point because I'm a pastor, I'm a leader, like there's no way I could have a problem with alcohol. 
Right. Um, my husband and I arguing, all of that so shameful that my marriage was a wreck behind the scenes. Nobody knew because during the day, Sundays, I could put on a good face. Mm-hmm. But at home, we were dying. And so we took some time off. I ended up in rehab. Best thing that ever happened to me, but the shame of it was what almost killed me. I literally felt like I would rather die than anybody ever find out that I had uh, what I had been struggling with. So three, I'm six years, eight months sober, launching my book, August 2nd, and the Lord has called me to share my story. Romans 8, 28, like what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn around for good, not just for me, but for other people. So reframing shame is looking at something from a different point of view. And in the church world, we're not talking about some of these struggles like addiction. We're not talking Mm -hmm. enough about pornography and mental health and Mm -hmm. that we're all broken, raggedy rag dolls without Jesus. And the Bible is chock full of people who were mess up screw ups, who needed a savior and were on a journey of recovery. It's not a one and done. Yeah. A journey of dealing with their inner worlds, their inner emotions, their mistakes, their failures, and overcoming the shame of it. So I got to tell the world, God rescued me, redeemed me from myself. Like y'all are seeing a book in six years, eight months sober. It's not the end of it. I've been doing work every single day to get healthy, my family Mm -hmm. getting healthy, my marriage getting restored. And now the opportunity to get into the church world and tell people, guess what? You don't have to be perfect. Yeah, You can be perfectly imperfect, but and you can do something about your challenges. And God is right there with you, and he has the roadmap for you. So good. I, I, think, I think one thing we need to take into consideration in regards to your point is the fact that pastors are human. Um, people in leadership are human. And a lot of times we place them such on a pedestal that when they fall, they can never recover or they feel as though they can never recover. And that's because we've been worshiping people based off their title. I think in church is so often that we we create the celebrity culture, whereas the pastor is just the man of God, the woman of God. And they're just so this and that, whereas the entire church is struggling with lust. But because the pastor is so perfect in their eyes. I don't want to tell a perfect person that I struggle when in reality, if you spoke to the pastor that you're dealing with pornography, they can tell you, God just delivered me out of that, <laughs> you know, or here's how I got out of it. You know what I mean? And we place them on a, on such a high, uh, on a high platform. And it's sad because we don't want to do it, but unfortunately that's how humans, that's just how we are. You know, so to hear someone say, I'm in a mega church and I'm struggling. We often think if a church is getting bigger, then that means God is up to something. Revival, you know, it could be no flaws. So for you to say, you know, this is where I was going wrong is for one is a breath of fresh air um, for somebody who's feeling like, well, I'm the only one in my church with a problem. You know, I'm the only one in church where my marriage is struggling. I'm the only one with these types yeah. of issues because we need to we need to understand that, you know, this negative stigma, whereas that if you love God, your flesh never struggles or if you love God, you know, you never go through a storm. It's not true. It's not biblical at all. You know, but so that that makes me ask you this, though, you know, because if we have so many examples of people in Scripture that were not perfect or so many examples of people in Scripture that struggled, 
man after God's own heart struggled, a man who you have the keys and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then you deny me. You know, we have so many examples of people who failed. Why do you think the church doesn't talk about this? Why do you think the church has to talk about people, you know, bring more awareness to people that struggle with shame or trauma or people that just made mistakes, addiction? Why do you think, why, what are we doing wrong? I think it's literally the issue of shame itself. Not understanding shame, not understanding its impact on us. Literally, shame is an emotion created Mm -hmm. by God with a purpose to send a signal. Just like all the emotions, God created all of our emotions. They're supposed to send a signal to our brains for us to do something about whatever it is we're dealing with. But what happens is the the particular emotion of shame, it's so powerful and it's inward. So we we believe a script and a narrative that we are bad, fundamentally bad to the core. Wow. Not that we just did something wrong. That's guilt. Did something wrong, I apologize. Mm-hmm. But shame tells us hide. Shame tells us you're not enough. It's very uh, abusive mm-hmm. towards oneself and towards your own identity. So then if you're if you're shaming yourself, for like over and over and over, that's all you know and that's all you're used to, you're gonna shame other people. So right. True. people, you judge people, you judge somebody because they sin different than you. And mm-hmm. so you're putting shame on other people and then you're gonna hide because you're, you judge others so much and so well, then you end up hiding. So we're not talking about it mm-hmm. in the church because we have put up this appearance in this, thing that we somehow we find God and we have to be perfect. And it's like our church grew when I came, what I was two years, three months over when I shared my story with our church and they were like, that's why she was gone. That's why she took time off. That's why pastor Jimmy was on sabbatical uh, for longer than normal. Um, We privately took care of our issues Mm -hmm. so that they didn't come public so deal with your issues, your issues will deal with you. Exactly. And a lot of the why we're seeing pastors falling, the whole mm-hmm. moral failure thing, is because they're not dealing with their issues privately. I just thank God for his grace that mine was dealt with in private. And when I was healed whole and ready to share it, I was able to share it. And again, our church was looking for authenticity. Our church was looking for tell me, like, the truth of the gospel Mm -hmm. and what God really feels about identity, about shame, about addiction, about, you know, all of the emotional health and like how are, we can't be spiritually mature without being emotionally healthy. Mm -hmm. They're connected. So they go hand in hand. So just because you've been in church for 30 years does not mean you're spiritually mature. Right. You might baby Christian, not literally you know, someone who's been uh, saved a year, given their life to Jesus for a year, who is emotionally aware and emotionally intelligent and healthy, can move along spiritually to a greater degree and faster uh, than someone who's just going through the motions of church. So, yeah. Yeah, so so I, I get that. I get that. But I'm, all right, so... And it's not a matter of saying the the approach you guys took were wrong, but I'm a type of person who I'm all about accountability, you know, and I think it's wise, especially the type of position you have. You can't share things too soon. 
You can't mm-hmm. overshare. It's like you got to use so much discretion in how you handle that situation. But when there are people inside the church that are dealing with their types of addictions and their struggles, um, when do you say, hey, reach out to someone? Because some of the people listening to this aren't even married. You know, they don't have that spouse to lean on like yeah. you had the opportunity to. So when do you tell them, hey, you need to go out and make your pastor know, youth pastor know, your um, your sister group or your friend, whatever it is. When do you tell people to go out and reach out for that accountability? Because, you know, James says, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, you'll find healing. But we also know some people have ran out to the wrong people and got wounded even yeah. more. So it's like, how, how do we navigate that? Well, first of all, we got to recognize, like you said, we all need a relational mirror. So mm-hmm. once you get married your spouse is your relational mirror Mm -hmm. and your spouse becomes your blueprint for growth. Your spouse is going to trigger all the stuff that God wants to clean up. Your spouse is going to magnify any issues that are undealt within you. Um, Mm -hmm. But if your spouse, if you don't have a spouse, you're going to, that's where safe people. And I talk a lot about that in my book. What does a safe person even look like? And you, a safe person is someone like a counselor. Safe per, but sometimes you have to shop around for counselors because it might not be a fit at first. Safe person might be um, a, a pastor, a leader at your church. Um, going to a group where there's anonymity. Like I used to be so against AA and celebrate recovery, and now it's like my lifeline because when I go in those rooms, what you see here, what you say here, it stays there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's safety in the anonymity while I'm figuring out and navigating um, like the shame I'm feeling for even being at the meeting. Right. And I'm getting stronger by listening to other people's stories, connecting with them and seeing how they overcome. You won't even have to say anything when you go to these groups. You just have to sit there. You don't have to say a single thing. Just listen. And you will leave with deposits, gifts. I don't care if it's AA. God uses the stories. We're overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Right. He uses stories as a learning opportunity for us. So reaching out for help is the bravest thing you'll ever do. And a lot of the time, the, the fear and shame go hand in hand. Here's another shame nugget. Like, we fear rejection. We fear being hurt. So we hide in our shame. The enemy has a field day with us in our minds. Mm-hmm. The enemy has our, a field day with us because when we're hiding something, we're hurting someone and we're hurting ourselves because in isolation is where the you have a propensity to lean more into your coping mechanism without accountability, like you said. Right. So if I haven't shared with someone that, hey, um, I think I, I drink a little too much. I think I'm getting more and more dependent on alcohol. I've had five more binges, you know, than I had Mm -hmm. last month. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going, I'm the slope of the scale of addiction. I'm falling down the slope and it's, I'm going fast. Like none of my friends knew. Right. Accountability is only as strong as you're willing to be honest. Ooh. None of my friends. Ooh. Say, 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 say that one more time. Say that one more time. They they don't want to be honest. Yeah, is only as strong as you're able to be honest. So if we're not honest with ourselves, and we're hiding from from God in our shame, we're hiding from ourselves. We haven't. Then we won't share it out Mm -hmm. loud. 
and get that healing like that you said is promised in James, like confess your sins to others that you might be healed. We're walking around forgiven because we said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Yeah. But we're not walking around healed. Mm. We're literally in bondage because we have not told and been honest with someone that can truly hold us accountable. So it's like this person that you decide to share it with, can that person be part of helping you reach your goals? It's not their responsibility to keep me from drinking. It's their responsibility to uh, follow up with me in a way that I ask them to help me. Like mm-hmm. in the, I, I didn't know, for those listeners who maybe had know someone dealing with shame, know someone dealing with addiction, you may not know what to do. They may not know what to do. The first thing you can do is just be loving. Right. Be a place, a judgment-free zone where the person can share and you just be a listener. Then you ask, can I help you? Mm-hmm. What can I help you with? If you don't know, do the research. Google, get online, look up rehabs, look up you know, stories like mine, somebody they can relate to. Um, mm-hmm. Get them connected with resources and and then you learn about whatever it is they're struggling with. So if someone has a porn addiction, if someone, I mean, let's look at the stats. Porn, I think the stats last I looked were like 70 some percent of women, 80 some percent of men click on something inappropriate daily. And that's in and outside the church. Exactly. So women and men. So if we haven't shared that that's a struggle, we don't have anybody to hold us accountable and yeah. it's way too accessible. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, it's, it's more than just putting a software program. It's like, no, yeah. before the software program can be accountable, there's a thought. So your mind, this is where the, the, the battle is like in our minds, I feel like is where it all starts. Before I started medicating, shame started in my mind with negative self-talk. Like until I said it out loud, to my husband and to my friends, they're like, you talk to yourself that way? They're like, you verbally abuse yourself in your own mind. So before there was an abuse of alcohol or as a coping mechanism up to my stress and my mind, and there was a, a mindset, a cycle of shame going on in this brain of mine that needed to be healed. And it can't happen unless you tell somebody. So what I'll ask you is this, because I understand going through trauma, going through addiction, all these things are always going to be messy. It's going to be uh, now on the the bright side, you know, it looks great, but your family had to endure this process. You know, husband, three children had to see you go through all of this. Probably not. The kids probably had no idea what was some of the things, you know, in the beginning. So it's just like, how was that healing process um, for your family? How did they help? How, how? How did it negatively impact them at the time? You know, how has that process been? Because I'm trying to figure out how was your walk with God then and now? You know, like, has it gotten better? Has it been some areas where you feel as though you still struggle? You know, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So shame disconnects us from God. Disconnects us from relationships with people. So when I was in my addiction, I felt shame. So I distanced myself from my kids, my friends, my husband, that's a, a sign, a red flag that you might be going down like the slippery slope of addiction. You yeah. isolated yourself. 
And uh, what happened is I remember my, um, my husband say, giving me an ultimatum, you better go to rehab or our marriage is over. And I felt shame that, oh my gosh, the church is going to be a mess mm-hmm. because of me and da da da, and the kids are now getting impacted because of me, and it's shame, shame, shame. Addiction is so selfish. Like shame is so inward. It's so yeah. selfish. Like we're only thinking about ourselves. And when I got uh, into rehab, again, the bravest thing I've ever done, best thing I could have ever done for myself and my family. My kids were pushing me out the door, saying, "Mommy, go get help." They didn't get at first. Like you said, like, why does mom need to go to rehab? Because the dysfunction of me blacking out at night and then going to work the next morning, like everything was fine. That was their normal. They didn't know any different than mom and dad fighting all the time about mom's drinking. So when they found out what rehab is and how I would get better and how what the way what was happening in our house was not normal, they were encouraging me to go. Yeah. And. Like that did something inside of me. It said, if my kids aren't shameful about me, maybe I should do this thing because I can't stop. Mm -hmm. My relationship with God couldn't make me stop. That's why I was in an addiction. Like no Mm -hmm. human being could make me stop. Like it's so crazy when I think about it because I I, I was a Christian. I loved God. I was close to him. How could this happen to me? Because addiction hijacks the brain. All yeah. your values go out the window. You you literally start compromising things, your value system, your core values. You ignore um, messages that the Lord is sending through people, through, you know, podcasts, through yeah. like, you know, messages that you're hearing preached. You're ignoring that part. You're, you know, skipping over the part of the book that where you read that leaders shouldn't be um, uh, getting drunk with wine. I was like, oh, it's just, you know, whatever, stupid, just skip over it. Yeah. So I got um, healthy and dealt with my trauma, my emotional world. I learned about all of this in rehab, about my nervous system and healing from trauma, how it all impacts the brain, how shame impacted me. I became aware that um, in order for us to heal as a family, we were going to have to get honest about the fact that we struggled in the first place with you fill in the blank. So for me, it was alcohol. For me, it was shame. For someone else, it might be unforgiveness, hurts, hangups, and habits. All of us need to recover from something. It's like there's, you know, people who've been divorced, people who uh, are have idolized marriage and you're single listening to this podcast and you're feeling shame about that. Um, you know, the, people have unforgiveness. I could go on and on. Hurts, hang up or habits. Yeah. All of us recover from. And I think that. Um, what was your original part of your question? Because I'm like, I, like I, how, how did how did it? <laughs> no, like how was your relationship with God then and now and how has that impacted the kids? So the, in my recovery journey and I find my relationship with God, it's like when I admitted, oh my gosh, when I admitted that I had a problem with alcohol, when day 38 of rehab, Jimmy had come to my rehab center, learned about alcoholism, realizing how he was enabling my drinking and we started the journey of healing together, but I would not say I was an alcoholic. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. not speaking that over myself. Right. I'm not that 
person, those people, those people, right? It was shameful to me. But day 38, I finally said like, okay, I identify with all these people. I clearly was drinking and driving, binging alcohol, blacking out, hiding vodka and water bottles. Mm. Yeah, I have a problem with alcohol. I couldn't stop on my own. I had to go to rehab. Yeah, I had a problem with alcohol. My name's Irene and I'm an alcoholic. It was no longer a shame thing for me saying I am bad. It just meant that I can't drink anymore because, or ever again, because I altered my brain chemistry. I, when I have like my, when the thing with addiction is when you stop, that's the first step. Then yeah. you're going to crave it if you keep on. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. if like, so I can't ever drink again because one is too many and a thousand isn't enough. So yeah. Saying I'm an alcoholic simply means that does not mean I'm bad. So mm-hmm. my relationship with God like the lid got taken off my relationship with God mm-hmm. when I admitted my weakness. Second Corinthians twelve nine, like Paul begged three times, God, take this thorn from me, this thorn in my flesh. Like, right. I don't want to do this. And we all do it. I don't want to look at porn. I don't want to overeat. I don't want to overspend to satisfy myself emotionally. I don't want to do these things. I didn't want to say I was an alcoholic. But the Lord responded three times and said, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. Every time I admit I'm an alcoholic, God's grace floods me instead of shame. That's reframing. The yeah. power of reframing. Jesus is all about reframing. He died on the cross, a humiliating, horrible death, and reframed it with the glory and honor of sitting at the right hand of the Father. Like, he is all about reframing. Mm-hmm. So it, he t- he can take our greatest shame and misery and turn it into purpose. My greatest shame has become my greatest ministry. Yeah. So, like, my relationship with God has gone to a whole nother level because I accept his grace and I realize that, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're right. I have I'm nothing without you, Lord. Right. A place of submission, a place of surrender. Like here's my stuff because I can't do it without you. Like my relationship with God is finally authentic. It took the lid off of it. I had a lid because I was hiding. Mm-hmm. So I would go to church and create these environments for everybody else to experience God and grow in their faith and get free. But I couldn't do it for myself because I didn't know how. And I don't want to fault like you only know what you know yeah so that's i'm on a mission and i love what you're doing on your podcast because it's helping people get aware of dysfunction aware of shame aware of addiction aware of emotional health like do you Mm -hmm. got we got to do the work or internally or and get healed and get whole otherwise you're gonna live a miserable life and have a lid on your relationship with god and with other people yeah i i love what you said when you pointed out that it's like the shame and the addiction that tries to like hijack your brain, right? Because Isaiah 26, 3 tells us that, you know, if we keep our mind stayed on him, God will keep us in perfect peace. And a lot of times Christians, we look at it like we could never struggle with any of these things because we're Christians. But it's like when you've allowed something else to hijack your brain, 
then it's like you're not thinking about the scriptures. You're not thinking about the power of God. You know, and it brought me to 2 Corinthians um, 10. I want to read a couple of verses. And it's the KJV. So if you guys are listening and you're on the NLT, I'm sorry. Pause the podcast. Go check out Bible Gateway or something. You version. Um, but 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says it like this. Starting at verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And it's like that's literally what she's saying, because a lot of times when people think we're in spiritual warfare, our minds immediately get demons. Our minds immediately think uh, something or that's too spooky. That's not. And, you know, there's some Christians that don't even believe in this stuff. But there too often we overcomplicate it when God is looking like it's the enemy's tactic to hijack what your thoughts are thinking because it's yeah. impossible we can sing freedom until our our eyes turn blue you're not going to walk in freedom if you've allowed something to hijack the way you're viewing yourself you know if you're allowing god through his word to show you your true identity it doesn't matter how many times you fall you're going to realize who you are but it doesn't matter what the word says if you've allowed someone else to reframe who it is so that that that, that was a beautiful point talking about how how jesus is always reshaping something the, the we're going to look at ourselves like i was caught in adultery i'll never recover and jesus is like yeah go and sin no more he's like i'm not going to condemn you either so god has already freed her and he told her now it's a different way of living that has to come out of it but if you allow something that if you allow the the critics and you allow what people think and all those things to control your mind you'll never walk in freedom so i just thought that that was just an amazing point the way you put it man i'm pretty sure that book that that's that's going to be a game changer but i know there are some people they're obviously only clicking on here because they want to hear you talk about some relationships too so so what so what are some steps i would ask you to identify some type of unhealthy you know relationship cycles um we you spoke a little bit about people that are addicted to marriage um you know addicted to love you know so what are some things you know what are some ways to identify some of those habits that we may have so number one is that whole honesty thing is huge so being able to admit that something well we've got to reflect First, and we do, I do that, walk people through that in my book where it's like we do a lot of self reflection and we analyze and get honest with ourselves. Um, if, if something is out of moderation in our life, if something is out of moderation, yeah. has the propensity to become something that we're addicted to, and that can be a person, place, or thing. We can be addicted to love. We can be addicted to, I got to be in a relationship. So the love addicts, they were in my rehab with me. There are books out there for love addiction. What does it look like? It looked like the lady who was in my group that had been married six times. Another guy married Mm. eight times. They did not feel worth or value about themselves unless they were in a relationship. Wow. That's a And they lived off this high. So remember addiction, dopamine release, right? Temporary. I got married, <gasps> wonderful adrenaline, dopamine high, right? But then it goes away, divorce. Let me, oh, I met someone else. Oh, I'm in love, endorphins, pheromones. Oh, all these chemicals, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then we get tired After 24 months, 18 to 24 months, it wears off because God created these amazing bodies of ours with <laughs> our brains are connected to our hearts everything is connected our body so body mind and soul like 18 to 24 months 
the honeymoon phase in your brain, those chemicals wear off and you hit the hot button, family of origin issues, phase of marriage, right? Hopefully, like people don't make it past that. So they go on to the next relationship. It's just one relationship after the next. So a red flag is for me, um, what I've noticed is either a lack of commitment. So there might be an issue because of previous trauma or not having a healthy example of what marriage mm-hmm. looks like. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to commit because there's fear and I don't want to become a failure in a marriage. So right. date people, let it go only a certain length of time. And then the minute it starts to get deep, I pull away fear, fear yeah. of getting hurt, fear of having divorce as my story because that was my parents' story and I don't want to create mm-hmm. that. So it's a red flag, like that, not a red flag that the person is bad. Remember this admitting game, this admitting thing is not about saying you are bad in shame. It's about saying, hey, I might have something I need to deal with from my yeah. past. And then you go to counseling, you get in a support group, you get in a small group at your church, you work through and get honest and look at that thing and say, this is impacting me. It's keeping me from staying in a long committed relationship. Yeah. The other person is not the issue. What they did when they left their, I don't know, dishes on the side of the sink was not the issue of why I broke up with them. Yeah. I broke up with them because I got scared. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. So it's like the cycles, those things can happen um, with undealt with issues and lack of awareness of our emotional world. So get honest with yourself. Look at areas of your life where something may be out of moderation. And that might be a good indication to start asking yourself some exploratory questions about why. What's the motivation behind my dating? What's mm-hmm. the motivation behind my not dating? Have I Fear. heard from God that I... Yeah. Or am I supposed to be celibate? Hey, Paul said, the Apostle Paul said that some people yeah. are supposed to stay you know, single. Hey, more power to you. That wasn't my story. My husband and I got married in nine months <laughs> from the point we met till, uh, uh, you know, wedding day. It's better to marry than to burn, the Bible says. So <laughs> we just went ahead and learned how to be married, learned about ourselves while married. Single people have the opportunity to do that work on their own before the responsibilities and weight of marriage. Okay, so that's great because you you pointed out the area that I believe targets the ones that are single. Now, we have some audience that are dating someone that developed an addiction. Like how you mentioned, this happened while married. This happens while pastoring. It wasn't like we were just out drinking and being reckless. You know, it just developed, you know, because of what you were going through. So what do you say to those people? Because I've had these types of DMs before. Like, hey, I'm dating somebody who's constantly drinking He's watching porn. It's like a lot of different addictions and people don't realize their addictions, but they'll mention all these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's clearly an addiction this person has. So what do you say to that person who's currently dating? They're not married yet. Obviously, if they're married, you would want them to work through whatever it is that they're they're going through. But um, so what are you saying? Stay in, stay out. What are the what, what advice do you give to those people? Sure. So if I had been unwilling to get help, my husband would have left the marriage. So why would you not married with the commitment, without a commitment Mm -hmm. of a wedding ring covenant, why would you allow yourself to continue to go 
forward with somebody who's not willing to take care of something that could be not only damaging themselves, but damaging your future. It's yeah. impacting you. So why would you stay? And that's something you have to look in within yourself, single person and say, mm-hmm. why do I allow this? I might have my own issues with self-worth yeah. and what boundaries am I not asserting to take care of myself because I'm allowing someone to abuse alcohol, to abuse drugs, to abuse whatever, even abuse us verbally, Mm -hmm. uh, physically, things like that. That's your own issue. People focus on the person in the addiction. And here I am about to totally wreck your theology. How about you look at yourself? We look at the person who's in the addiction as the person who's unhealthy, but the people around the loved ones of the person in the addiction are just as emotionally unhealthy as the person in the addiction. Hmm. So word to the, my word for people is with grace, with love, not shaming the person, ask them if they're willing to have a conversation about refraining from whatever it is they're abusing. If they are not willing, it's saying that says that they have a problem. Yeah. See, normal drinkers can say, oh, I can give up. I can not drink because I'm like my husband. He's like, I'm not going to drink because I don't you you can't drink. I'm not going to put your addiction right in front of you every day. Right. Mm -hmm. So he chooses not to drink. That's called a normal drinker. He can choose. I couldn't choose. So my point being like, if you if you're single and you're with someone who's made a decision that they can't give it up, they have a problem. Mm. You have a choice right now to confront them in love and say, hey, right. get some help. I'll help you get some help. I'll be on this journey with you to learn, to heal with you, but I'm no longer gonna take this as being our normal. Like, this is not yeah. okay. And it's just having that boundary, because again, it comes back to yourself. Why are you allowing it? Ask yourself that question. Mm -hmm. You are worth so much more than someone with blackouts, someone getting DUIs, someone putting your life and their life in jeopardy. You're worth more than that. So consider that that might be a red flag and that may be a gift for you to Mm -hmm. be your out. Yeah, man. I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming in and sharing a little bit about your past and being vulnerable enough to address the people in our audience that are struggling with these things. Because there's so many people and it's it's common. You know, we go to church, people know how to shout, dance, run, skip, you know, post their Bible verse with next to their Starbucks latte, only to go home and you have not given up. And let's let's just look at it in the scriptures. There's so many times where Israel did what was right. But they didn't get rid of their idols and it kept leading to their downfall. This is constant things. Idolatry is happening in our day and age today. A lot of us, we don't think we're in idolatry because we're not bowing to some graven image, but we're constantly bowing to the need of, I have to have a relationship. If I don't have one, then my life is meaningless. I have to have a drink or I'm no fun. I have to have on something expensive or no one to like me. You know, and I'm saying it's so many of us, we're addicted to the wrong things. And I believe that that the things you said will really get rid of some of the idols that we've set up in our life and some of the things we're finding false comfort in. Bible says the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And we're we're finding solace in all these things that they make us feel good. 
but temporarily. They make us feel good, but they harm us in the process, you know. So this is good, man, because the presence of God gives us lasting joy. You know, so I'll leave you with the last word and please tell us how we could get your book and where we can find that. Sure, you can visit me at uh, IreneRollins.com and I've got all the links to the book there and some pre-order bundles and free stuff for people who order. And you can literally order the book anywhere where books are sold, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those places. And you can follow me on the same at Irene Rollins on social media as well, Instagram. My husband, um, his name is Jimmy Rollins. And I think uh, a lot of single people would have fun following him. I am Jimmy Rollins. He's hilarious. And then our marriage ministry is two equals one. Um, and that's the website two equals one. But if for the, we have so many single people following at marriage equation is our Instagram and joining our two equals one community. Cause they're like, you know what, I'm going to do the work for myself before I get connected with somebody. Mm-hmm. So you can join us on our two equals one uh, ministry as well. Well, guys, there you have it. We're so blessed by her ministry, by her voice. So I've heard about them from a previous guest. So it's such a blessing to see that she wrote a book about her story and to get her on as one of our guests. So guys, I would be encouraging you, please check out her book. If you thought this podcast was helpful, which I did, you know someone or maybe you are that person who may need to check this out. So this is a blessing. Thankful for our ministry. Be sure to check out the website. It'll be in the description box and we'll see you next week. Peace.